As more and more acts scored commercial success with power ballads, pressure from the labels intensified. The formula was simple. Metal bands were selling big and selling out. hate that song. I had no intention of writing that song. The record was done. The record was called Uncle Tom's Cabin. And Donnie and I called up and said, I don't hear the single. You got to give me a single like Love in an Elevator. I need something like that. So that night I wrote Cherry Pie, sent it to him. He lived with it over the weekend. And all of a sudden, the album's called Cherry Pie. The record's called Cherry Pie. I'm doing Cherry Pie eating contests. The single's Cherry Pie, right? If I'm lying, I'm dying. And my legacy's Cherry Pie. Everything about me is Cherry Pie. I'm a Cherry Pie guy. I could shoot myself in the head for writing that song. Welcome to another episode of the Slam Fest podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pregaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad. So, continuing with my concert chronology and back to more of an in-format episode, this was the first time I saw a show consisting of multiple bands that were not part of an organized tour. This episode is going to revolve around the Great White, Dokken, Janie Lane, and L.A. Guns concert I saw on August 16th, 2007 at the DTE Energy Music Theater in Clarkston, Michigan. So, again, this was not a tour in 2007, so all these bands were out playing shows and obviously converged on the large amphitheater just outside Detroit. So, again, not surprising if these bands were playing, you know, club shows and that type of thing, and then you get a big market like Detroit, and their routing, you know, made sense, and it worked out that all four of them were on this bill. And again, it wasn't like a... I don't remember it being a radio station type thing. It doesn't say anything like that on the ticket stub. So again, it was <laughs> just the fact that these bands were in the same area at the same time. So they put a show together. So here was another show I went with my neighbor Rob, who I have brought up on recent episodes. And I'll talk a little bit about our experience tailgating prior to this show so with the backgrounds with the bands on the bill so i've already talked about la guns several times i've talked about docking multiple times and i've talked about great white as well and with regards to janie lane and warrant so i hadn't seen janie lane solo until this show and then i've also covered warrant on the podcast Back on episode 55, 
I saw them at Freedom Fest out in Colorado. But I think on that episode, I said that I never saw the original band live, and that's not exactly true. I actually did have an opportunity to see the original band live, but Mother Nature had other plans, and I'll get to that here in the next month or two on the podcast. So let's jump right into the show. So LA Guns set list. Wheels of Fire, No Mercy, One More Reason, LAPD, The Ballad of Jane, Shut the Fuck Up, Sex Action, Never Enough, Electric Gypsy, and closed their set with Rip and Tear. So 10 songs (laughs) for the opener. It was pretty good. Four songs off of the self-titled debut. Four songs from Cocked and Loaded. So there you've got eight songs already taken care of. Zero songs from Hollywood Vampires through Tales from the Strip. So they played one song from The Blacklist, which was a set of demos that got released with original singer Paul Black on vocals, and then they played one Brides of Destruction song, which Tracy Guns was involved with. So as you can guess, this was the Tracy Guns version that we saw. So Paul Black on lead vocals, Tracy Guns obviously on lead guitar, Jeremy Guns on bass, and then Chad Stewart on drums. So again, my recollection of this was it was pretty good, and I I thought Paul did a good job. Obviously, Tracy was in good form at the time, and they were solid, and they had a solid set list. Again, interesting, they played the, the one song from that set of demos, and then they played Shut the Fuck Up from Brides of Destruction, which I believe had just come out the previous year or two. Next up, Janie Lane kicked off with Down Boys, Machine Gun, 32 Pennies, Heaven, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Train Train, and closed the set with Cherry Pie. So three songs from Dirty Rotten Filthy Stinking Rich, three songs from Cherry Pie, including the cover, and one song from Dog Eat dog so didn't play anything from ultraphobic through under the influence and then didn't cover anything from Janie Lane's solo album back down to one so I don't recall why the set was so short but Janie Lane was awesome so his band consisted of Dario Larina on guitar I think was only 17 years old at the time. Chad McDonald on bass, Sean Zavodny on keys, and Mike Fasano on drums. Again, they were so entertaining. Janie, so animated. He was funny, great sense of humor, just a great frontman, and he sounded great. And the band sounded great. And that guitar player was something else. I 
I wasn't sure <laughs> what to expect from him, which may be part of the reason why, you know, I was I was so blown away. Expectations were low, but no, man. I mean, they were really good and really fun, and it was a bummer that the set was so short. But, I mean, he had the crowd in the palm of his hand during the entire set. Next up was Dokken, kicked off with Kiss of Death, Into the Fire, Dream Warriors, Breaking the Chains, Alone Again, Too High to Fly, It's Not Love, and close the regular set with Tooth and Nail, and then Encored in My Dreams. So one song from Breaking the Chains, three songs from Tooth and Nail, two songs from Under Lock and Key, two songs from Back for the Attack, one song from Dysfunctional, zero songs from Shadow Life, Through Hell to Pay. Lineup, Don Dockin, obviously on lead vocals, John Levin on lead guitar, Barry Sparks on bass, and Nick Brown on drums. So while this is not the first time I've covered Dockin on the podcast, because I saw them last summer, this was my first time ever seeing Dockin. So blown away by John Levin. First time seeing him. I've seen him a bunch of times, but yeah, thought he did a great job. Don, you know, 2007 still sounded okay obviously much better than he does today and then the rhythm section was solid with sparks and brown back there and it was a good set list again no real surprises they've kind of been playing the same songs even including that too high to fly from dysfunctional for a number of years now but yeah no it was good i uh i enjoyed it i thought don had a good sense of humor they were good, and it was cool to finally see them. Never uh, never got a chance to see them back in the day uh, in one of those opening slots, and they were on a lot of tours, but never, uh, never worked out for me. So now moving on to the headliner. So Great White kicked off with Desert Moon, Old Rose Motel, Standing on the Edge, Face the Day, On Your Knees, Mr. Bone, House of Broken Love, Rolling Stoned, Save Your Love, and closed out the regular set with Rock Me, and then Encored, Can't Shake It, No Quarter, and ended the night with Once Bitten, Twice Shy. So one song from the self-titled debut album, one song from Shot in the Dark, two from Once Bitten, two from Twice Shy, two from Hooked, one from Psycho City, zero from Sail Away and Let It Rock, one from Can't Get There From Here, and one from the album that they were promoting. Yes, they were promoting a new album that had only been out for about a month at the time of this show, and that album was called Back to the Rhythm, and then the one cover song from Led Zeppelin. So, four-fifths of the you know, main original lineup from their heyday. So Jack Russell on lead vocals, Mark Kendall on lead guitar, Michael Lardy on rhythm guitar and keyboards, Sean McNabb on bass, 
and Adi Desbro on drums. So they were really, really good <laughs> and uh, deserved the headlining slot out of all of these bands. It was awesome. And again, I hadn't seen them since uh, the Revenge, Kiss Revenge Tour. And I can just remember Jack Russell just sounding <laughs> amazing still. So again, cool to hear Rolling Stoned. I mean, the set list was, was good. And they did play the one song from the new album, Back to the Rhythm, Standing on the Edge, which is a good song. But where is the title cut? If you're going to play a song off of that album, the title cut is the best song by far, actually. And the fact that they didn't play that was shocking. But all in all, a great, great, fun night. All four of these bands put out solid material during that, you know, mid to late 80s, even the early 90s in some situations. I mean, Ellie Guns, Warrant, Dockin, Great White. I mean, all really, really good bands that put out quality, quality material. And now on to the concert calendar so all four of these artists well obviously the uh <laughs> the actual band warrant not uh jamie lane obviously have upcoming shows so la guns has 13 shows booked from june 30th through august 25th they're hitting Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Tennessee, Indiana, Michigan, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Texas. So obviously, no shows from Janie Lane, but Warrant is busy. 23 shows from June 8th through November 3rd. They're hitting Kansas, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Nevada, Indiana, New Mexico, Ontario, Tennessee, and Florida. Dawkins got nine shows scheduled between June 29th and November 17th, hitting Michigan, Indiana, Idaho, Massachusetts, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Nevada. And then Great White has 19 shows scheduled. They're hitting Oregon, Minnesota, Wisconsin, California, Florida, Indiana, Missouri, Washington, Louisiana, Nevada, Iowa, Minnesota, New York, Ohio, and New Mexico. So check out all these bands' websites for specific city, venue, and ticket information. And now on to the band on the Bill Spotlight. So with four bands... On this bill, I kind of struggled a bit on what to cover here, and then it hit me. I mentioned how good Janie Lane was. He, other than Great White's performance, which was pretty good, Janie Lane stole the show. So let's talk about Janie Lane a little bit. Talk about him as a singer, a performer a songwriter, and really just focus on Warrant's first three 
studio albums. So at the top of the episode, I played that clip from VH1's four-part series, Heavy, the story of metal, which I can still remember watching that for the first time, and my jaw hit the floor with that quote. I mean, when anybody says warrant, I'm sure they go to the (laughs) Cherry Pie video, if not the song. And to me, not that bands have to take themselves so seriously, but man, oh man, I I don't think that put them (laughs) in a good light. And, you know, it just really epitomized the going over the top with this and I think the bottom fell out not just for them but for pretty much all those bands at around that time but I did find a response from Janie kind of to that interview so Janie Lane stated that it might have overshadowed their other works among the younger generation he noted that their previous statements had made people think he hated the song since he once expressed his regret for writing it. However, Lane cleared the air about the misunderstanding and stated that he didn't hate the song. Lane's only concern was people's approach to his other works, but he was happy to release such a timeless song. When asked about Cherry Pie, Lane said, People are like, you hated that song? No, I didn't hate the song. It's just that when I was young and full of angst, And I wanted everyone to listen to my serious songs. I was like, how dare you define me by that kitschy, tongue-in-cheek, sexual innuendo. Now, in hindsight, I'm pleased that I wrote something that seems to be standing the test of time, at least to this point. So, okay, so he backpedaled (laughs) a little bit from that other statement, which, again, I totally get where he was coming from and really couldn't agree more with what he originally said on that VH1 series heavy. Now getting into this a little bit, I remember buying their best of on CD and I remember Jerry Miller from Metal Edge magazine writing something in the liner notes kind of about Warrant and I thought some of this was pertinent to kind of the discussion that we're going to have. She started out by talking about the Sunset Strip and stated that when I first met Warrant in April of 88, they were already stars in this firmament, regularly breaking attendance records at clubs like the Whiskey, Gazzari's, and the San Fernando Valley's Country Club. But what propped this quintet to heights not matched by the majority of its Hollywood peers was simple great songs. So after discussing the singles from the band's first two double platinum albums, she continued, still Warrant had its detractors who dismissed the band as insubstantial, which was countered by the release of the aggressive and adventurous Dog Eat Dog in 1992. Tracks like The Lusty Machine Gun and Edgily Voyeuristic Hole in My Wall drew praise for the record which solidified Warren's position in the metal world. It's not hard to imagine future generations in turn covering classics by Warren, as songs like Heaven will certainly endure. The big hair, stylized clothes, and party-hardy image may be a thing of the past, but Warren's music 
remains valid. Songs that defined an era stand the test of time and make an indelible impression. So I'm going to go through their first three albums and highlight some of the hits and singles, but then talk a little bit about some of the deep cuts as well with a focus on the songwriting, the arrangement, and just talk about how talented Janie Lane was because he is credited with every song. I know there's there's different outlets that have different credits on some of them, but don't be mistaken. He wrote all the music and wrote all the lyrics to most, if not all the songs on the first three albums. Now, I also found an interesting interview online with producer Bo Hill, who produced the first two albums. So I'll drop some comments from him kind of throughout this discussion. And his comments are very, very relevant. I thought Janie was an absolute star right off the bat. He was like a cross between Elvis Presley meets a Southern Baptist minister. <laughs> That's kind of how, how, he, how he struck me. He was really, really great with the audience. And, um, you know, you could just tell, I mean, his personality was just, you know, he was like a type A, alpha, alpha, alpha kind of guy. And he sang great and he sounded really good, but on a hell of a show. And I just, you know, that was really kind of a no-brainer for me. I thought this kid is really, really exceptional. So Dirty Rotten, Filthy, Stinkin' Rich, released January 27th, 1989. Produced by Bo Hill, charted at number 10, and is certified two times platinum. So it was a little bit of a slow starter. Didn't go gold until July of 89, so about six months in. But then a little more than a month later, it was already platinum. And then early 1990, it was certified two times platinum. So again, on one of the previous Warrant-related episodes, I put side one from the debut album up against side one of Cherry Pie. So I've kind of talked about those songs. So I'll just give, again, some highlights of the singles and then talk a little bit about the deep cuts as well. But 32 Pennies, which kicks off Dirty Rotten, Filthy Stinking Rich. I always thought this song really showcased Janie's songwriting. First song off of the debut album, and it's got a unique arrangement. Not a traditional hairband song from 1989. Verse, great riff, lots of space in there. Chorus, the ooh, baby, where are you going to? I was thinking that maybe I'd come along with you. That underlying chugging riff in there, kind of almost a tempo change. And then outro, there's a tempo change as well. So again, a very well-crafted song. So Down Boys, the true first single, charted at number 27. I was not really a fan of this song when it was released. And again, maybe it was because of the video matching white outfits and the choreographed moves. I was just not a fan of. But what stands out to me in this song is the riffing during the verse so you've got this kind of arpeggiated chord section in there and then it 
kind of goes away, but then it kind of comes back as well. And again, just a nice touch, which is really, really cool. And then Big Talk charted only at number 93, probably my favorite song on the first album. Just the chorus, <laughs> specifically. Backing vocals, Big Talk is just talk on less you're backing it up. Big talk is, cheap talk is, it's only words unless you're backing it up. So again, just so well done having the backing vocals play off of just Jamie's interjections in there. Again, not traditional hairband fair at this point in time. So again, this type of stuff really made them stand apart. My impression is that those guys liked each other. And there wasn't the conflict over the writing because the guys in the band, to their credit, were smart enough to know that Janie was a really, really exceptionally gifted writer. You know, whether you like the stuff or not, he really knew how to craft a song and he knew how to craft a melody. And he was a better than average lyricist, in my opinion. Sometimes she cries. You know, Heaven gets all of the attention on this album from a ballad standpoint. Sometimes She Cries is great as well. Charted at number 20. Just a great, great lead guitar melody in there. And then the pre-chorus in The Lonely Night and in The Pouring Rain, You Can Count On Me. Again, big chorus, big backing vocals. Call and response. Sometimes She Cries, Sometimes She Weeps, Sometimes The Pain. Just awesome song. And then Heaven, of course, charted at number two. Great acoustic ballad. Love the pre-chorus, the lyrics, the harmonizing. I don't need to be the king of the world as long as I'm the hero of this little girl. And then the second pre-chorus, and I don't need to be a Superman as long as you will always be my biggest fan. I just loved that. Great melodic solo in there. And then the outro, the woe-woes, and the underlying backing vocals. Heaven, great great song so outside of the hits in the sticks i think is a cool song great riff lots of space in there and then a great pre-chorus underlying high-pitched backing vocals in the sticks is where i lay and then great interjections from Janie. in the sticks is where i play the backing vocals and then chorus backing vocals in the sticks well it's you and me baby great harmonizing and I Ain't No Country Hick, so cool song. And then the album ends with Riding High and Cold Sweat, which are, again, you know, not traditional hairband filler. There's some interesting stuff going on in both of those songs as well. And then Cherry Pie released September 11th, 1990, also produced by Bo Hill, charted at number seven, certified two times platinum. So, released in September, by November, it was already gold and platinum. And then August of 91, so almost a year after its release, it had reached two times platinum. So again, title cut, big hit, reached number 10. You know, not a fan of the song really when it came out. I think the video was really bad. And didn't uh, didn't shed them in a in a very good light, kind of from here. But really, the guitar riff 
it's pretty heavy. It's just the cheesy lyrics and, you know, the cheesy video that came along with it. So, again, not a bad song musically, but everything else kind of around it didn't do it any favors. Uncle Tom's Cabin reached number 78. Again, great <laughs> acoustic intro, arpeggiated chords in there. And then it kicks in and is heavy, heavy, heavy. I still remember seeing the video for the first time uh, for this and being like, whoa, this is Warren? Pre-chorus, I know a secret down at Uncle Tom's Cabin. Great guitar fill in there. I know a secret that I just can't tell. And then actual chorus. Part of it is <laughs> I almost too sing-along-y. What the fuck? I guess if that's even a word. I don't know. I, I think... Uh, I think he could have done something a little bit different with the chorus. You know, subsequently after I saw Red came around, you know, I got it. I got the idea. You know, okay, something happened that was uh, none too pleasant for him. And uh, but hey, what least... a tremendous song came out of that. Yeah, I was going to say at wow. least he made a lot of money off of it. Yeah, he did. But you know, that's that was the beauty of of him as a writer because he could number one, he could share something that was that deeply personal. And he could write about it in a way that, I mean, who couldn't relate to that song? I mean, everybody's had their heart broken somewhere along the line. I mean, I, I know it, it got to me emotional. I was just like, wow, where did that come from? And that was one of the beauties of Janie, was he had the ability to do that. Next up, I saw Red also reach number 10. Shocked that it didn't get higher. Beautiful song, piano intro, main piano melody. And then a great breakdown. I've been hurt and I've been blind. I'm not sure that I'll be fine. I never thought it would end this way. Very brief solo, outro, chorus is great. Just just a very, very cool song. There's an acoustic version on the best of, which is okay, but I, I still go back to the original version. So Blind Faith was the other single off of here. Acoustic song, verses are good, pre-chorus, thanks to you, now I know all my dreams can come true. Chorus, blind faith in you, I got blind faith in you. So that's an okay song as well. And then the other stuff that's on here, I mean, Bed of Roses, which he actually wrote with Bonnie Hayes, is a very, very cool song. Riff kind of reminds me of uh, Poison, Fallen Angel, Ride the Wind. Chorus is great, backing vocals on a bed of roses, not beneath some motel light on a bed of roses, she deserves to sleep tonight. Outro, last minute, cool riff, backing vocals on a bed of roses, great interjections from Jamie. Cool arrangement, well-written song. Sure feels good to me. I know they, they start their shows these days with that song, which is a fine song, but interesting love in stereo <laughs> very creative title about a threesome Ooh. Ooh, my friend i always hang out with two of them because it's better for conversation see if there winds up being any i don't have to be involved forget about it. Ooh. Ooh. it's humid in here tonight isn't it girls Ooh. so some interesting lyrics in there i never had two women before but i'm an open-minded person so, baby, lock that door. Verse 2, loving from the bottom, loving from the top, loving from the left, and loving from the right. <laughs> so, anyway, interesting uh, way to approach 
that. Subject matter, song and dance man, cool song, chorus, it kicks in, I'm a song and dance man, yes, I'm a song and dance man. And there's some underlying OOOs in there, really remind me of Cheap Trick, very cool. Great breakdown in there as well. And then the album closes out with Mr. Rainmaker, guitar picking intro, kicks into a heavy riff, great verse, pinch harmonics in there, pre-chorus, you came along with the patch of blue sky, inside your arms I found a place that's warm and dry, chorus, Mr. Rainmaker, don't waste your time because I found a girl who is permanent sunshine. She is the little queen of all of my dreams, carry on and find someone else to rain on, great, great lyrics in there, cool, cool song. And Janie was not only the main guy, he was also the kind of leader of the band, right? Without question. As far as his voice goes, he had a pretty powerful voice, correct? He did. He was, uh, yeah, he had a, he had a very powerful voice. His, his performances in the studio were, you know, he was almost like a one take guy. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was really, really exceptional. And if, and if you, ever watch any of their live stuff. I mean, you know, everybody hits a clinker every now and then when you're playing live, but he was, again, very exceptional in that. He had a good ear, and his pitch was, generally speaking, right on. Incredibly gifted as well. I mean, he started, wasn't he also like a really good drummer? Yes. And did he play guitar? Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I really like about Janie's songwriting, and he really influenced me in this way. Like you had mentioned, somebody comes in with a riff or something like that. Janie's attitude, at least to me, was, okay, if I can't get the song across with one vocal and me on acoustic guitar, then we don't have a song. And I thought that, I, I went, wow, that's that's a, a really interesting way of looking at things. And so I found myself over the course of my career giving people acoustic guitars or, or say, look, sit down, play the chords and sing the song and let's see what happens. Because we can always go back in and dress it up, put a riff over it, or, you know, put a keyboard in there, or add harmonies. But when you strip, strip it down to it, its most basic level, which is like Hootenanny style, you know, sitting around the campfire and somebody picks up a guitar and starts strumming. So if you were going to do, I mean, you know, pick any, pick Michelle by the Beatles, right? Anybody could sit down if they learned the chords to that, and they could sing and play in front of the campfire, and everybody would go, wow, what a smash. And that was kind of Janie's bottom line was, yeah, I'm going to render it on the acoustic guitar, and, and, if, and if it holds up, it holds up, then we're good. Then we can arrange it and rock and roll it and do whatever we're going to do. But the basic structure and the, uh, and the architecture of the song are holding up. And then the third album, Dog Eat Dog, released August 25th, 1992, produced by Michael Wagner, charted at number 25, certified gold, and it took about three months for this to get to that uh, gold status. So, interesting, <laughs> a lot of these bands, when they came out with their albums in 91, 92, 93 time frame, a lot of them are better from top to bottom than the smashes that they had put out in the 80s. And Michael Wagner has had a lot to do with that. So this album only really had two singles on it, Machine Gun and The Bitter Pill. 
Both great songs, didn't uh, didn't chart at all. So Machine Gun, feedback into drumming intro, cool driving riff. Pre-chorus, got a lust, ignited fever, and I can't put out the flame. They tease the chorus and go back to the verse. Pre-chorus, two. No, I'm going to crash and burn, but I'm not finished yet. Chorus is good. Backing vocals, there's some... Uh, Similarities to Cherry Pie, but again, it's a much heavier song. The Bitter Pill, piano intro, great verses. Two Janie Lane voices right on top of each other and or harmonizing. Very, very cool arrangement for this song. Pre-chorus, keys, chorus, backing vocals. Sometimes I'm right as rain, and when it rains, it pours. You're such a mystery. Why can't I unlock this door? All the glitter isn't gold. Too much is overkill. Love can be beautiful or a bitter pill. Great melody. So those being the singles, there's some other great tracks on here. Hole in My Wall, <laughs> very cool intro. Riff into a driving verse, riff, mid-tempo. Vocal effect on Janie's voice. Talk box in there, pinch harmonics. Pre-chorus, I'm spinning round and round and round, don't let me down, and then an unbelievable chorus. Backing vocals, call and response with Through the Hole in My Wall. Ooh, I groove, love the view, velvet blue, I see you. Very, very cool. Great underlying riff during that chorus. Cool breakdown section with the talk box. And then some synthy sounds as the song closes. April 2031, haunting song. <laughs> Again, haunting riff and verse. Song about end of the world, nuclear fallout. Verse 1, they say the sky used to be blue. I don't quite believe it. And pray the radiation doesn't make me sick tonight. Verse 2, they say there used to be a wind, wasn't caused by fans, I wonder how it would have felt in my hair. Chorus, you've got a children's choir singing the April 2031, Janie's interjections, no more sky and no more trees, no more oxygen to breathe, just a, a haunting song, but very, very well written. Bonfire, badass riff fist-pumping bass drum, verse, call and response with the backing vocals, pre-chorus, hi-ho, away we go, build a fire from coast to coast, chugging riff into the chorus, very well arranged, great melody, baby's on top, she's on a roll, gonna burn me down to my soul, I'm high as a circus wire, getting hot like a bonfire, very, very cool, there's almost a, uh, um, kind of a whammy bar <laughs> section in there that sounds a lot like the chorus of Whole Lot of Love. All My Bridges Are Burning, Cool Riff, Lead Fill, Intro, Verse, Call and Response between the vocal and the riff, Pre-Chorus, Call and Response with the backing vocals, Chorus, Ooh, All My Bridges Are Burning, Watch Them Go Down in Flames, Oh, I Can't Even Remember My Name, very cool vocal breakdown, flange effect on his voice, great, great lyrics in there. Quicksand, arpeggiated chords, verse, mellow, kicks in, heavy riff, 
pre-chorus, and do I love you? Yes, I do, but I love my own life, too. Chorus is very good as well. Cool, cool song. And then Let It Rain, which is really the quote-unquote ballad on here. I mean, the bitter pill could fit that, but it's a little uh, little heavier. Let It Rain, arpeggiated chords, mellow verse, pre-chorus, Let It Rain, and then there's kind of a backing vocal falsetto rain. Oh, let it rain down on me, let it rain, backing vocals, let it rain. Great underlying piano in there, well-written song. Verse 2, we used to lay, great delay on there, together like spoons. Cool melodic solo as well. As far as his voice holding up, was he kind of a workhorse and could do it all day? He was, yeah, he... uh... Yeah, he was. He was. He was a workhorse, and um, and as I remember, he he always came in really prepared. I mean, he knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he was also good. If I said, "Okay, that's great. Let's try this," and I maybe hum him an idea, he go, "Okay." And when it got really good, was when he would sing something. I would make a suggestion. And in trying to implement my suggestion, he came up with something even better. That was the sweet spot working with Jamie, because it was both of us kind of pushing each other to take it up to the next notch. And with great frequency, he would take a germ idea that I would give him, and he would render it back to me only 10 times better than the idea I came up with in the first place. And you did quite a bit of backing vocals like you did on rap, correct? Yeah. And you guys would harmonize and do stuff like that, or how did that work? Uh really remember. I mean, it was, I don't believe that there was any controversy around any of that kind of stuff. And a lot of stuff Janie and I would do, we did together because the idea is, you know, if you think about it, like a classical orchestra, if you have three violins playing the exact same part, it's going to sound somewhat different. So if you have three guys singing the exact same line, you're actually kind of creating that fourth mystery composite voice. So again, overall, you know, much better than most of the quote-unquote hairband contemporaries of the time. You know, Poison, Winger. Again, quality, quality material similar to Rat, Dokken, Kicks. You know, it would have been would have been interesting if their debut album would have come out in 1986, Cherry Pie in '88, and Doggy Dog in 19. 90. I'd really like to see what their legacy would have been if that first album would have come out just a few years earlier and kind of been in line with when Poison's first three albums were released. So again, I think Janie Lane is very underrated and unfortunately pigeonholed. You know, Cherry Pie was a double-edged sword. It, uh, help the band blow up and headline arenas and and all of that but unfortunately it is his legacy and there is so much more to him than that song so in researching for this episode i found some unreleased tracks online and you know check some of that stuff out it's it's actually very very cool and there's some great stuff out there and one song specifically stood out and there's a live version of it out there from 
2007, the same year of this show. So check out Along for the Ride. It's called Along for the Ride. Slamfest tip of the week. So I mentioned at the top that I went to this show with my neighbor Rob, and this was the first time us going to the outdoor amphitheater and doing some pre-gaming. So a couple of uh, interesting things from this. So again, full swing with iPods at this time, and I don't think. Gosh, I'm trying to think of what I had. As a speaker, I may have had one of those Bose um, dock uh, speakers at the time, but Rob had 
the Apple response to all of these quote-unquote dock speakers that were coming out at the time. So Apple was late to the party with this, but whoa. So this is the iPod Hi-Fi. Let's take a look at some of its features. Two 80 millimeter mid-range drivers, 130 millimeter dual voice coil woofer, uh, ported bass, bass reflex design, so we get some great bass out of this. Universal iPod dock, Apple remote. Uh, we've got auxiliary and SPDIF uh, optical audio inputs and uh, integrated power supply so there's no brick, uh, battery powered and integrated handles. So we're pretty, pretty happy with this. And so home stereo quality, we think we can deliver this really for the first time uh, in the iPod ecosystem. So in 2006, they released the Apple Hi-Fi iPod dock speaker and Steve Jobs was not messing around this thing. I mean, holy shit, did this thing pack a punch. So we took his, you know, he had like a, uh, you know, an F-150 or, or some, some sort of pickup um, truck. So we took that thing over there, had coolers in the, in the bed of his truck, and <laughs> we break the speaker out, and we were there pretty early, so I mean there weren't a ton of people in the lot at this time, but we just parked right in the middle and we set everything up and I don't remember what we played first, but he <laughs> puts on the song and no joke, we were entertaining the entire parking lot with this thing. I mean, it was unbelievable. And from a distance, we saw a golf cart coming our way, which golf cart in a amphitheater parking lot can only mean one thing, and that's security. So sure enough, this golf cart comes towards us, and we're like, oh, shit, what, you know, what, uh, <laughs> what, what rule are we breaking here? So these guys pull up, and, and we're thinking, oh, God, what, you know, what's going to happen? They requested a song. And unfortunately, I cannot remember what it was that they requested. But how funny is that? Because they could hear our music from way over from where they were. So again, this speaker was amazing. I ended up borrowing it from him a couple times. And, and uh, there's some funny stories with, with those shows having that Apple speaker, but man, oh man, that thing was awesome. So now to close this episode out with a which side are you on? So obviously talked a lot about Warrant, and let's give some time to the other band that was a highlight at this show, and that's Great White. So we're going to do side one or side two from their 10th studio album, Back to the Rhythm, released July 17th, 2007, produced by Michael Lardy, no charting and no certifications. So again, this was released about a month before the show that we saw, 
So they were supporting it and only played one song from it. So 12 tracks. Side one kicks off with Back to the Rhythm. Uh, this gem was co-written by Jack Blades of Night Ranger. Total Jam. <laughs> but specifically, I think it would have fit well on Hooked or Psycho City. What a riff. Verse, call and response between the lead vocal and the riff backing vocal. Kind of through a, I call it a megaphone. The I don't believe it, no, I don't believe it. And I remember when this album came out, so my son was eight or nine months old, and I can remember putting him down for naps and and at nighttime and I'd have one uh, earbud in listening to something you know while feeding him and I can remember listening to this song and again with only one earbud in you don't get the full effect and I, I don't remember hearing kind of that call and response megaphone vocal until much later and it just it caught me off guard because again you can't really make it out when you've just got the one earbud <laughs> in so i was like what the hell is this but great great song great pre-chorus new destination it's day it's night no wrong no right chorus i'm on the top and i'm back to the rhythm again Pre-chorus 2, they mix it up a little bit, and then pre-chorus 3, they repeat pre-chorus 2, and then add another couple lines to it, which, again, great, great songwriting. Outro, great interjections from Jack. Track 2, Here Goes My Head Again, again, co-written by Jack Blades. Very cool lead melody. Verse is unique. Lines all kind of run together. <laughs> this would have been a tough one to pull off live. Chorus. Hey, there goes my head again. Great underlying riff. The lines I could use a good friend and just to hit the wall again. Both friend and again sound like they are in a minor key, so it kind of catches you off guard, but it's cool. And then the breakdown with some underlying ahs in there. Cool, cool track. Track three, Take Me Down, mid-tempo riff. Cool, but reminds me of something, and I, I think it's 
Kiss My Love Goodbye by L.A. Guns off of their third album, Hollywood Vampires. Pre-chorus is good, but it's that chorus that sounds like that L.A. Guns song. The riff and the vocal melody, it just, yeah, comes, comes from that. Take me down tonight, I want to feel your love tonight. Track four, Play On, also co-written by Jack Blades. Very cool, mellow vibe. Acoustic, great verse, pre-chorus, I believe in you and what you say and what you do. Sounds very 90s chorus, so play on, sing a song, let your melody wash over me. Great yell from Jack after the breakdown leading into the solo. Track five, Was It The Night? Cool vibe, great lead work during the intro. Verse is mellow, chorus kicks in, melody sounds familiar. Probably another great white song, great underlying riff in there, very cool song. And then side one closes out with I'm Alive, mid-tempo mellow vibe, verses are good, the pre-chorus backing vocals holding on, and I'm holding on to a sweet, sweet song, underlying Oz, eh, I don't know, it kind of, unfortunately the side kind of ends with a dud here. Chorus, call and response, backing vocals, I'm alive with Jack's interjections, it's okay. Breakdown, it's celebration, it's a revelation. The song is just okay. But the first five tracks are all solid. Side two, still hungry. Riffing sounds kind of White Snake Slide It In era, and then even maybe some mid 80s docking in there. Verse, underlying crunchy riff, pre-chorus is cool, chorus, eh, kind of sounds like Hungry from Winger. Jack's interjections are pretty good though, and the breakdown is alright, but ah, just, just sounds a lot like that Winger song. Standing on the Edge, which was the one song they played off of here, which still doesn't make any sense to me, but cool riff, bluesy, sounds like something maybe off of Hooked. Pre-chorus is good, great lines in there, and all the pillars of society treat me like a rat in a drain, but on this sinking ship, the rats are all the same. A drowning man just don't get any wetter, nobody's wetter than me. Chorus, cool melody, cause hell's a little hot for me. Breakdown solo, there's some hand claps back there, which is a nice touch. Next up, How Far Is Heaven, keys intro into acoustic. Verses are good, chorus, eh, not great. The underlying How Far Is Heaven, backing vocals, eh, Jack's interjections are good. I really need to know, is it a long way? The candles burning low. So cool interjections, cool lyrics there, but ah, chorus, uh, chorus is lacking. Next up, Neighborhood, again co-written by Jack Blades. Cool driving riff, some slide guitar in there during the fills. Verses, cool mellow vibe. The rocking riff comes in and out during the verse. Pre-chorus is just okay, but then the chorus. Backing vocals, it's just another day in the neighborhood. Ain't it good to be alive? Great underlying riff in there. Breakdown is cool. Harmonies kind of remind me of Buck cherry and then track 11 cold world the chugging riff 
verses are okay, cool flange effect on Jack's voice, melody is good, pre-chorus is kind of a mess, changes tempo in there and the underlying ahs don't really work, chorus, harmonies, again, more Buck Cherry uh, in there to me. Just, it's okay in this instance. The solo isn't great. Again, they experimented kind of with this song and it misses the mark. And then the side and the album close out with the track Just Yesterday. Acoustic bass, cool acoustic fills and soloing throughout. Chorus, great melodies. Just yesterday when we were young, the road would never end. What happened, my dear friend? yesterday so overall a, a pretty good album from great white in 2007 but i'm not sure there's any suspense here there were a couple of clunkers on side two and again side one's got back to the rhythm which is the best song on the album should have been played live here goes my head again take me down play on and was it the night are all great kind of that last track on side one not not so good but uh you know still hungry standing on the edge neighborhood and just yesterday are pretty good but there's there's a couple of clunkers uh, on side two so i'm gonna go with side one over side two of great whites back to the rhythm from 2007 did anyone see Great White, Dawkin, Jamie Lane, or L.A. Guns live in 2007? If so, when and where and what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from those shows? What are your thoughts on Jamie Lane as a musician, songwriter, and performer? And last but not least, what are your thoughts on Great White's 10th studio album, Back to the Rhythm, from 2007? Side 1 or side two. Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private Facebook page at Slamfest Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>